Through these true crime podcasts, we've interviewed, in the beginning, people who'd come out of prison, then ex-police, ex-prison guards, journalists, activists, and it has formed quite a bleak worldview of the corruption and some of the rabbit holes we've gone down, really horrifying, especially when we've talked to people about the Epstein case, um, what Sonia Poulton's done with Madeleine McCann and, and Jimmy Savile, and how, you know, ex-cop John Wedger, he said that when he was assigned to Vice, whenever they found out about these elites taking these kids, then the investigations were closed down. So it's got more and more sinister through our own research and through our own journey on this channel where this has taken us. Now, it has taken us to try to examine SRA, and I'd never heard of it before, uh, expressed like that. I've, I've seen Satanism portrayed in horror movies, and some people say this is just a thing of fantasy, so that, you know, people can be frightened watching the TV. This doesn't happen in the real world. There's no actual cases of it. There's not people in prison right now charged with Satanism. So I discussed this with John Wedger, and he suggested that we invite Wilfred Wong on the podcast. And thank you for coming on, Wilfred. What qualifies you to talk about SRA? And could you explain what SRA is to people who are not familiar? Well, I've been working on Satanist ritual abuse since 1993, 27 years now. And the involvement on this issue first began when uh, working as a parliamentary lobbyist, I was approached by one of the parliamentarians who I worked with on human rights issues, who told me that he'd been approached about SRA and would I go and interview this person on his behalf. So this person was involved in treating SRA survivors, and I met a whole group of them uh, when I went to see him, and it all started from there. And the deeper I got involved in looking into SRA, the bigger I understood that it was and how it affects our society in a very profound way. Satanist ritual abuse is basically comprised of three components. One is sexual abuse, Second is torture, deliberate, physical, emotional, psychological torture of its victims, most of whom are children, some of whom are vulnerable adults. And thirdly, which is what gives the word Satanist at the beginning of SRA, is it's done in the context of Satanist rituals. In fact, Satanists believe that this is part of their belief system and therefore they must do this Torturing, torturing of the children and sexual abuse of the children as part of their belief system. So uh, SRA is basically usually not a one-off, but done repeatedly over a period of years. You can imagine the horrific impact this has on its victims, uh, whether they be children, sometimes as young as infants, or vulnerable adults. So this has been going on for decades. The last time there was a very big exposure of SRA was in the 1980s in the UK. And then things died down more or less by the mid-90s. And 
since the exposure of Jimmy Savile, more and more interest has been revived in this subject of SRA and of cover-ups and the interest surrounding the VIPs uh, child sex abuse has also refocused people on SRA because many of these VIPs who did child abuse were, were doing SRA. So this has been going on for decades. Unfortunately, because of the UK authorities' lack of action, it has grown a lot bigger. And I've seen it grow a lot bigger. And I've seen the Satanists become a lot more influential than they were back in the early 90s. So how does Jimmy Savile fit into Satanism? Savile was not, so far as I know, a high-ranking Satanist, but he was a Satanist abuser. And although most of the media, despite all the articles on Savile, did not touch on this, at least the Sunday Express did, and they touched on it in three separate articles. In fact, the first article led to the second one because after reading the first article on Savile's SRA, one of his child victims, who was now a young woman, came forward and was interviewed for the second article. And that also helped to prompt a person living in a city up north who knew about Savile coming to his city to engage in Satanist rituals revealing his research on the subject to the Sunday Express, and that led to a third article about Savile going to this place up north in northern England to do satanic rituals on a quite a regular basis. Um, but because he was a celebrity, that makes it even more significant, even though he was not a, a high-ranking Satanist himself. And in a way, he's typical of many well-known people who are involved in SRA, they, the public, they may have some suspicions over the years, but nothing ever really comes out. The police don't really go after the person in, in a dogged way as they should. The fact that they are a celebrity helps to protect them. Unfortunately, there are other celebrities who have been involved in SRA and are now involved in SRA who for legal reasons I cannot name. And this also applies to VIPs, so-called VIPs who are in Parliament. So for years, I was well aware, since '93, when I got involved in this issue, of Edward Heath being involved in SRA. Unfortunately, he was the most senior MP at the time. He was the so-called father of the house. Um, nobody could touch him. I met witnesses who told me about how Edward Heath had ritually abused them. Um, it wasn't until Operation Conifer, which happened after Heath's death, that was spearheaded by Wiltshire police, that it began to be publicly revealed. And it's very interesting to look at the Operation Conifer report. I would encourage this because it's on the internet, on the Wiltshire police website, and it clearly states that six Witnesses who corroborate each other identified Edward Heath as doing satanic abuse. There you have it, official, in a Wiltshire Police report. Not surprisingly, lots of people attacked the chief constable of Wiltshire Police at that time, Mike Veal, for having the courage to dig deep into this issue and not simply let it go away. He was attacked accused of everything under the sun. It was quite desperate, you could see, to silence him. 
but he held on and he produced this good and revealing report of the allegations against Heath of both child sex abuse and also of satanic abuse. And he didn't mince his words on the satanic abuse. And that is part of the evidence for SRA in the UK today. I mean, we have to ask ourselves if the Prime Minister himself could be engaged in SRA when he was Prime Minister and after, who couldn't be mm. who is in a position of authority in the UK? Exactly, yeah. And we have had a Ted Heath victim on this podcast two times now, Mike Tarragher. So if you want to see his testimony, click down into the description box below this video on the True Crime Podcast playlist. You can watch our interview with him. So when the news headlines came out that Savile had access to corpses and mental patients, in my brain I was thinking... This is something more than just a child abuser. Uh, does the corpse level of this, is that something that SRA participants would engage in? Yes, it's fairly common for Satanists to be attracted to corpses, not just for sexual reasons, but also for reasons of believing that they will get power from the cops, the energy from the cops, especially if the cops has not been a cops for too long. Uh, they are always seeking to increase their power. At the heart of Satanism is the ruthless and relentless pursuit of power. And they will do anything, including having sex with a cops, to get that power. And they will do anything, including uh, abusing and torturing children to get that power because they believe that all this gives them more power and they believe that this also makes their deity, the devil, pleased with them. So there is a very sick and twisted belief system behind all this called Satanism. And obviously we, we, we should not have to agree with it, but it, it's helpful to know what motivates these people to do what they do. They are not just, as some people mistakenly think, uh, pedophiles with a bit of Satanism on top. No, they are in a category of their own when it comes to extreme torture and child sex abuse and the the depths that they will sink to to get what they want. So it's not pedophilia. I often point out, don't use the word pedophile because strictly speaking, a lot of these Satanists don't have a strong sexual attraction to children as pedophiles do. They see this as their religious practice to do these awful things. So um, this belief system also motivates them to want to radically transform society to fit their values. And this is what they've been working at for decades. And some of the changes for the worst that we see in our society today can be traced back to them. In fact, one of the first campaigners on SRA in the UK was a lady named Diane Kaur, and she wrote a book called Chasing Satan, which you can get on Amazon. And in that book, at page 13, she made a very prophetic warning. She wrote, and I quote, But there is also a unique cultural dimension to satanic crime. The perpetrators want to change society. Whereas the pedophile is interested only in satisfying his lusts and otherwise wishes the world to continue as it is, 
The Satanist wants to undermine the institutions and morality of society. In a democracy, they are entitled to pursue such goals so long as they have the guts to openly declare their objectives. But they are cowards who lurk in dark corners, determined to engineer their objectives secretly. This was written in 1991. So we're seeing that people who are involved in the child abuse component of this, we're seeing that they get protected. For example, with Savile, he was protected completely throughout his life. It only came out after he died. So does that mean, you mentioned he, you know, the people at the top of politics, does that mean there's a network of Satanists that protect each other, especially at the elite level? Yes, Satanists believe that they have to protect each other because they they realize that if some of them get exposed, it could affect all the rest of them. In fact, the whole um, network could be ex- end up being exposed. And the Satanists have a common saying that the guarantee of our tomorrow is today's perception that we do not exist. Mm. It reflects a lot about their survival strategy. So they realize that if it starts to come out, it, will, it might go beyond their control to the extent that much of their network, including themselves, get exposed. And of course, that would also make it more difficult for them to carry on their abuse of children. So they will watch each other's backs. They will uh, help each other out. It's all out of self-interest because they know that this could get back to them, affect them. Um, But at the same time, they also have not only their Satanist network to help them, but they also have their Freemason network to help them because a lot of the Satanists are also involved in Freemasonry. And I think it's fair to say, from what I've seen over the years, is that Freemasonry is controlled by the Satanists. The Satanists, if Freemasonry was ever independent of the Satanists, Right now, it is controlled by them. And uh, the Satanists use it to peddle their influence, use it to help cover each other's backs. Um, They, not surprisingly, are attracted to Freemasonry because uh, the deity that Freemasons worship, they do a lot of religious rituals, uh, is only known at the higher orders of Freemasonry as as basically being the devil. So it's a form of devil worship where the majority probably don't know who they're worshipping, think it's just a social club, but the elite, the leaders, the higher level masons are aware of what they're into and are quite happy to carry on with it. So you've talked about Satanism at the top of politics and celebrity. Does this extend into the royal family? I've heard claims about this. The only, the only ones I know of, which are probably true because there's evidence of SRA survivors' testimonies that I'm aware of, uh, are at the level of dukes. Beyond that, above the duke level, um, it's harder to tell because I personally haven't come across it. It could well be true, but I have not personally come across the evidence but even reaching into the level of dukes, well, that's 
that's pretty pretty high. Do you think that the situation with Prince Andrew Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell ties into this? I think it could well tie into it. I think part of the problem, though, sometimes is that the media, when they report on these things, they leave out the SRA. That's the magic word. If you want to expose SRA, you've got to mention SRA. You don't expose SRA by mentioning pedophilia. You've got to be clear that it's SRA. And sometimes the media, they, they, they say it's pedophilia and they don't mention the SRA. So it's a bit hard to tell. Um, I think, I'm making a guess here, I wouldn't be surprised if SRA was involved in the, in the whole Epstein case. But we need the media to be more clear on this. And we've seen this before with, with, with Savile. Only one newspaper actually exposed Savile's SRA. All the rest were just talking about pedophilia. So there is a problem with the media not clearly and accurately addressing the issues. So you talked that the Satanists want to reshape society and people talk about a new world order and the Illuminati. Does it tie into those phrases as well? Yes, it does. Um, any new world order has to have an ideology that's driving it. New world order in itself does not actually reveal very much. You could say that at different times of world history, there have been new world orders. Like, for example, after First World War, Europe entered a new world order because of the reconfiguration of empires and some monarchs having to step down or losing their empires. So, same thing after World War II. There was a new world order in which you, you had the Cold War, USA versus Soviet Union. So, we're going through a new world order but this time, it's a new world order that I believe is strongly driven by Satanism. And the difficulty of dealing with Satanism, although uh, I'm not defeatist about it, I, I believe they can be defeated, but you, one has to have the will to do it and the understanding of the issues, is that many of these Satanists are the so-called ordinary people we see every day in our society the enemy is within the gates, well within the gates, sometimes in our parliament, sometimes in the police or social services. Um, it's not like the Cold War where it was very clear that the enemy was out there in certain countries and we were over here and the lines were very clear between the two sides. So that makes it more complicated, but I do tend to refer to this battle with the Satanists who are trying to reconfigure our society and the world as um, World War Three, or in the British context, you could say the Second Battle of Britain. Because like the First Battle of Britain, our freedoms are at stake, our children are at stake, our whole way of life is at stake. And if the Satanists take over, what we are going to see is enslavement, as would have happened in the first battle of Britain. Because Satanism is about enslavement. There is no such thing as democracy or choice. You got to do what they want, and you will be ruthlessly dealt with if you don't. Uh, 
Um, they're not all powerful as they like to make it themselves out to be. Uh, but at the same time, we got to understand that what's at stake here is something very, very dark and very ugly that's going to be imposed on us if we don't make the effort now to challenge it and to fight it. And speaking of world wars, when Winston Churchill was warning about Nazism being a threat to Europe and the military being built up in Germany, I think many people at that time would have easily labeled him a conspiracy theorist. And it's interesting to note that after the war, when they tried the Nazi uh, war criminals, one of the crimes they were tried for was conspiracy to commit war. Conspiracies do happen. Some conspiracy theories are, are, are rubbish, to put it frankly, and distract us from the real conspiracy theories. But at the same time, people do conspire to do evil. Human history is full of that. And so now we're we're in the midst of a new war, a new battle for, of Britain, and we're just kind of labeling or too quick to label those who warn us about this, about Satanism, about SRA, as just being into conspiracy theories. And that kind of willful blindness is only ensuring our enslavement further down the road. So you described what SRA is, what are the origins of SRA? How far back does it go? Do you know when it started? In Britain, it goes back at least to the 18th century, possibly further. Um, a British journalist, Tim Tate, did some research on this and wrote about it in his book on SRA, which is very good but very hard to obtain, unfortunately, called Children for the Devil. Uh, this book, apparently is available in the British Library, uh, but it's no longer available on Amazon. And he wrote about the some of, well, a lot of the aristocrats being attracted to it in the 18th century and setting up uh, clubs for devil, worsh devil worshipping, such as the Hellfire Club. And parliamentarians at that time being involved in these uh, devil-worshipping clubs, and reports of child abuse going on within these clubs. So it sounds quite familiar, doesn't it? And parliamentarians involved, including one of the chancellors of the Exchequer at the time. Hmm. And that was the first, well, the earliest documented evidence he was able to find for the UK and SRA. I think SRA has always been around, at least since that time, in the UK, but it has never been as powerful and widespread as it is now. And there are various factors involved which have enabled SRA to grow so strongly in the UK, uh, one of which is the retreat from the UK's traditional Judeo-Christian values, and that has left a vacuum which the Satanists have been fast filling in, uh, and also the, the very sort of loosening up of attitudes on sec sexual practices. And so one thing, one characteristic of Satanists, for example, is that they, they will have sex with 
anything and everything, including children, including animals. To them, it's all just about getting a sexual high and experimenting. And so these factors have fueled the growth of SRA. And it's not an exaggeration to say that every town, village, and city in the UK is now affected by SRA. I have visited a lot of counties across the UK and seen for myself SRA locations used by the, the covens in the area to abuse children, to abuse vulnerable adults. Uh, they include a whole wide variety of places such as woods, forests, rivers, buildings. Sometimes it's rich people's buildings. Sometimes it's church buildings that they are able to get into at night. Um, cemeteries, church cemeteries are quite popular with them. And unfortunately, because they are using these areas for abuse uh, across the UK, it's actually doing quite a lot of damage to our countryside. I mean, sadly, some of these are, are quite beautiful scenic areas, such as, for example, the Lake District. But the Satanists are very active in those areas. They come out normally at night. For them, nighttime is daytime. It's all about inversion. So they come out at night and do their rituals. And until the early hours of the morning, their rituals usually last quite long, about maybe five hours or more. And, um, well, imagine what it's like for the victim mm. having to endure that long, if they survive it, if they're not um, sacrificed. And um, sometimes you know that the people in the area of this location, that a lot of them are in on it. It's, it's just quite quite within the profile because you when you investigate a lot of these different communities, you see certain patterns like small, isolated community using parts of the countryside for their rituals. Nobody seems to notice or, or care and they just carry on and you can be quite confident maybe one-third or half of the village is involved. And... Um, this is a phenomenon that is spreading like a cancer. And I often liken it to a cancer that because for years we've been ignoring it, because for years we've been going around in circles arguing about whether SRA exists instead of saying, okay, let's move past that and let's talk about how do we effectively deal with SRA. Because of all that lost time, the cancer has spread and the only effective chemotherapy for this cancer is very public, extensive, and clear exposure, which comes back to talking about SRA as Satanist ritual abuse, not as pedophilia, not as anything else, but as Satanist ritual abuse. Make it clear in the public's mind. Public awareness is key, and public indignation on this issue is key. So in a five-hour ritual, then, could you guide us through something that would typically happen in that period of time? It depends on the coven. The covens don't all, for example, start at the same time. Some of them start later than others. Some of them may have their chanting earlier in the evening and then start the main body of their, their rituals just before or around midnight. 
Um, some other covens meet, for example, at 2 a.m. or even 3. Uh, the covens have their own practices and emphases. So, for example, some covens might emphasize Babylonian magic. I know of one coven that emphasizes Greek witchcraft. And another one emphasizes Egyptian magic. And there are even some covens, and this was reported in the Telegraph um, in February last year, who emphasize Nazism. But don't be fooled that they're all so unconnected and decentralized because there is a central control for all these covens and they do have an organized agenda for national and international purposes. But when they do their own rituals and practices, they would have their own I guess you could draw a rough parallel with denomination, denominational practices, their own emphases in their rituals and practices, and um, even the dates. Although there are standard dates when when covens meet, uh, the some covens may emphasize certain dates more than others. But all the covens would seek to do something normally on Halloween, which is their most important date of the year. So there is a, a room for decentralization, but there is also a, a centralized agenda that Satanists have. So you said a victim of this five-hour ritual will be lucky to be alive. What would happen to that person during the ritual? Well, it, it, can, uh, it can range from, for example, and here are the common characteristics of SRA, uh, forcing the victim to eat human feces, drink urine, gang-raping the victim. Um, I know one victim who told me how she was taken into a church. They would let themselves into a church at about 2 a.m. in the morning, and she would be forced to take part in their, what they call the Black Mass, the Satanic Mass, which is an inversion and perversion of the Catholic Mass. And they would, in their bread, they would bake human ashes into it. And they would drink blood as part of their satanic mass. And they would gang rape her afterwards. They also kept her in a cage. Children being kept in cages is quite common. Uh, or children being hung on hooks. Mm. Um, as I said, this is not just about child abuse with some satanism on top. This is a whole new twisted universe a very unimaginable evil. And if they do a, a sacrifice, they would the the high high priest who is officiating at the ritual will usually have a, a dagger for ceremonial purposes to kill the sacrificial victim. And um another aspect of SRA is cannibalism. They would eat the sacrificed victim, uh, all the coven will eat it, and it would be partly because of this belief that they would get en energies off their victim for themselves. And they would also, sometimes they would um, 
be, well, they often would be chanting. It's usually in a language that the victim can't understand. They have their own satanic language, or sometimes they'd be chanting in, in for example, Latin. Uh, these could be old satanic chants. Um, they're often wearing robes, and it's often the case that they're wearing the robes without any clothes underneath. Um, the, the eating of the victim also helps to conceal the remains of the victim so that at the end of it, all there is to dispose of are the bones. And this obviously is designed to fulfill their purpose of worshipping the devil, getting power for themselves, and also terrorizing their victims, those who survive, uh, and getting those victims to comply with their wishes. And sometimes those in the coven who are not compliant may be punished. So, for example, I know of a coven who use a, a lake that they meet next to to punish uh, disobedient members by throwing them into the lake. And that's late at night. Water's pretty cold. Um, I've been told that sometimes they dispose of bodies in that lake. I don't know if that's true or not yet. So this is just an illustration. Different covens have different ways of doing things, uh, but they all have this common characteristic of terrorizing, abusing, torturing children and vulnerable adults. Some covens would emphasize, for example, for vulnerable adults, they would target the homeless and some low-income people. Um, others may target disabled adults. It's all about the strong preying on the weak. And that's the kind of society they want, where it's the law of the jungle, where the strong will rule over the weak and have power of life and death over the weak. And that's what we have to look forward to if we don't stand up against Satanism, expose SRA. Because when you expose SRA, you are also exposing Satanism and its real face. Because the Satanists also want to go mainstream. They want to get accepted by our society as a religion and have all the privileges and freedoms that religions have. And I always say that they're a pseudo-religion, a quasi-religion, uh, because if they can have religious recognition as a religion, then for example, any serial killer could turn his beliefs into a religion because what they do is amounts to serial killing, serial torture. And why should they be allowed to have a religion built around that? You know, Then the Yorkshire Ripper could go and start his own religion if you're going to give religious status to the Satanists. So some people say that this is not something that the police have ever arrested people for. It's, it's in people's minds. They're, they're making this up. Do you have cases that the police have investigated and perhaps arrests have been made? Yes, there are at least 10 cases. There are at least 10 cases which have been successfully prosecuted in the UK courts. Unfortunately, for every one case 
SRA case that is successfully prosecuted, there are probably hundreds more that have never even made it to the courts, let alone been successfully prosecuted. But these disprove the claims that SRA does not exist in the UK. Of course it exists, unless you're trying to suggest that the courts somehow had some kind of mass hallucination, uh, which of course is absurd. And these being official cases where the SRA evidence was openly examined in court and believed, otherwise there would not have been a successful conviction of the defendants, were also reported on by the media when they reached their verdicts. And all the official transcripts of these cases will be available if if one is willing to approach the courts for them. It's all on public record. It's not hidden somewhere uh, obscure. So it's a nonsense to say that SRA doesn't exist in the UK because that makes as much sense as saying that child sex abuse doesn't exist in the UK. And there was a time in the UK when people were saying child sex abuse didn't exist. Mm. And we're making the same mistake all over again because the idiots who used to say child sex abuse didn't exist were allowed to get away with it. So now you have new idiots who are saying SRA doesn't exist. Mm. So just to give you one example of the 10 cases that were successfully prosecuted... Two members of a witch's coven in St. Ives, Cornwall, were convicted at Truro Crown Court in December 2012 for their, and I quote, ritualistic, sickening, sex abuse of young girls, jailing Jack Kemp for 14 years and Peter Petrowsk for 18. Judge Graham Cottle told them, and I quote, the offences range from the extremely serious to the truly horrifying. The judge said that the scars left on the victims were so obvious that it would seem extremely unlikely that either of them have any real prospect of recovery. Mm. Petrowsk was convicted of rape, aiding and abetting an attempted rape and indecent assault. Kemp was convicted of 10 sexual offences. So that's a fairly recent case. Uh, one of 10 examples. And this list was compiled. It's a compilation of two separate lists on SRA cases successfully prosecuted. One was done by Tim Tate, the journalist who wrote Children for the Devil. And the other was done by another British journalist, Andrew Boyd, who wrote another book on SRA entitled Blasphemous Rumours. And Blasphemous Rumours is still available on Amazon if anyone wants to look at it. Uh, that was also written in 1991. So these are professional journalists compiling these cases and because it was in the early 90s, there have been some updating of the cases for more recent uh, years, such as the 2011 cases uh, uh, and the one that I just read out. And it shows that despite all the efforts to cover it up and stop SRA being focused on by the public, there have at least been... 10 cases, maybe more, where the SRA was openly shared and the jury accepted it and it was a conviction, successful conviction of all the defendants. Uh, so we have to accept that this is a public record. But on top of that, the Metropolitan Police themselves have officially recognized satanic abuse on their website. So you have... Metropolitan Police saying satanic abuse exists. You have Wiltshire Police referring to 
at least six witnesses of Edward Heath's satanic abuse who corroborated each other. You have these cases, which, by the way, are available on the internet on my website, uh, the Casera website. There will be a link in the description box below this video to Wilfred's website, so you want to click over there and read the rest. So if you want to access this list and read through it, uh, it's on the Casera website. And so it's all out there, and it's official, and it is a nonsense for people to suggest the SRA doesn't exist. But unfortunately, some of the so-called skeptics are not skeptics. They know SRA exists. They just don't want the public to know that because they themselves are involved in SRA. So they want the public to think SRA doesn't exist. So you have been researching this for years. So I imagine that people will have come forward to you, either victims or participants. Do you have any stories from those both those sides? Yes, um, I've met former Satanists who had a radical change of heart, who converted to Christianity and left Satanism and have shared with me from an insider's point of view what the Satanists get up to. What did they describe? Uh, one of these former Satanists um, saw a, a sacrifice of a baby Mm. And she described that, and she was forced to eat the baby, baby's body after it was sacrificed. Um, it was killed by the high priest using a dagger to slit his throat. And this occurred in her coven in Surrey in 1961. Halloween 1961, she was initiated into the coven. Uh, the... The... Activities of the Satanists, she has tried to warn people about it and she has tried to uh, point out that there are a lot of SRA survivors out there and she's tried to help them as well. Um, she's not an SRA survivor as such, she's an ex-Satanist and she was mentioning how she had been recruited into Satanism. She was vulnerable because she was homeless. She had been in care. Unfortunately, people who have been in care are usually quite vulnerable to predators. Even within the care system, they are quite vulnerable to predators. Um, care is just a, a very misleading word. And um, when she came out, she ended up homeless. She ended up being attracted to the coven by these Satanists who were very well dressed, lots of money, gave her the impression that if she joined them, she would get money and power, something which she never had in her life, very tempting, and that's how she ended up in the coven. And then she realized it was nothing like what she thought, and she saw how horrific it was and how she was used to get other young people into the coven and how she was used to also try and recruit runaway children to come in to become the victims of the coven. So there is a lot of um, corrupting going on. And this is the thing about, about Satanists. They don't only look to victimize people. They look to corrupt them and involve them in their 
evil activities. So one thing I've often heard, for example, is from SRA survivors that they were forced to help sacrifice a victim. So even if they were only children and they couldn't have the strength to put the dagger into the victim, the adult Satanists would put their hands over their small hands and press the dagger in. This is for a variety of reasons. One is to make the child feel guilty that he is as bad as all the rest. Uh, it's also to make the, the, the child, or when he be- grows older, the adult, hesitant to go to the police because he thinks, I also part- participated in the crime, even though he was forced to. And it's all about corrupting the victim. So they they abuse the children on a physical level, on on a emotional level, psychological level, but they also want to distort the victim's value system and make it as evil and corrupt as their own. And that is what uh, SRA survivors have shared with me. Some SRA survivors tell me how they are stalked by their coven. Covens don't always stalk survivors who are out or wanting to get out of the coven, but sometimes they do. And when they do, it tends to be quite, quite in your face, the stalking. So I have sometimes been involved in helping such survivors. Um, they also talk about things like mind control. They, Satanists are so into enslavement that they want to control people's minds. That's how much they want to control people. So, But they know that by controlling the mind, they control everything else of the person. So they subject the children to, uh, or, or if, if they're older, uh, the young adults or youth, to mind control techniques. It's easier when the child is younger to program them. Uh, they use things like trigger words. If they say a trigger word, then the the victim will do c- certain things. Uh, it's as if you're, you're... It's a bit like, for example, how you might train your dog and you use a certain word and your dog will perform accordingly. And they obviously want to mind control the victim not to tell others of what has been done to them. So I have had lots of instances where the victim tries to tell me some of the more sensitive details of what they've been put through by the Satanists. And then they start, for example, getting a headache or hesitating and can't seem to bring the words out. And you can see that they've been mind controlled not to reveal these secrets but it doesn't always work there are lots of SRA survivors who manage to talk about it and to give uh, extensive account of what they've been put through by the Satanists and there are SRA survivors who've been to the police to try and get justice unfortunately sometimes the police are just not helpful sometimes the police are infiltrated by Satanists Uh, sometimes the police let their own prejudices and assumptions that SRA doesn't exist override their duty to follow up the accusations and at least investigate it as far as they can instead of just assuming it can't be true and not bothering to investigate. Uh, So these are the variety of experiences one has. Uh, They they need to be believed, the SRA survivors, especially after all the hell they've been through. To not be believed is a form of secondary abuse. It's like they're being abused all over again. 
They need someone who is willing to not only listen, but willing to believe what they've been through and to help support them. For example, if they're trying to get justice against the abusers, yes, it's so crucial to support them because these abusers, they never stop. Satanist abusers will keep on abusing until they're put behind bars or until they die. It's nonstop. So imagine how many hundreds of people's lives they ruin or kill during their lifetime if they are not stopped. And there are some ex-Satanists who've revealed a lot about the big picture of what Satanists are trying to do to radically transform our society. Uh, one of them was telling me how Satanists like to achieve multiple objectives with one action. So, for example, the family court system, which has been infiltrated by Satanists as well as social services, uh, you could say achieves multiple objectives for Satanists by doing this. For one thing, it enables them to turn upside down this system that is supposed to be protecting children from abusers to actually being transformed to a system that proactively protects abusers and penalizes whistleblowers and gives children back to the abuser's custody. Mm. We've seen this happen so many times. I've Some years ago, uh, in, back in the 90s, several years ago, I was in, in Guildford and I met a group of women, all of whom had a similar story, that their ex-spouse or ex-partner had done SRA to their child, they had blown the whistle on that to the police. Social services came in and accused them of making it up and of harming the child by making it up, taking the child away and eventually giving the, the abused child back to the abusive father. Hmm. Every woman in the room had practically identical story. And this was in the 90s. It's much, much worse now because it's not been dealt with. It's just been allowed to fester. And in fact, there was one shadow minister in parliament who said that the family courts are not fit for purpose. I would go a bit further. I would say they're not only not fit for purpose in so far as protecting children is concerned, but they are proactively helping abusers to abuse children. But that's what Satanist infiltration does. It inverts the very objective of the institution that it has infiltrated. It turns it upside down. So the institution of the family courts that was supposed to help protect children is now being used to abuse children. Mm. And unfortunately, it's also a money-making machine, which is another objective of the Satanists, make lots of money. Because when children are put into foster care or forcibly adopted, despite the biological parents' objections to the adoption, there are a lot of people who make money along the way, including the fostering agencies, care agencies, local authority, and also the so-called experts that are called to family courts who give their so-called expert opinions saying that so-and-so, the whistleblowing mother, is not fit to care for the child and therefore should be taken away into so-called care. They make tens of thousands of pounds just for, for these appearances sometimes. Mm. 
So it's a gravy train for a lot of people. You can be sure that a lot of people on this on this gravy train are Satanists, making loads of money, which is one of their objectives. And at the same time, blocking mothers from protecting their children. It's become so bad that at the moment, the only way a mother who wants to protect her child from an abusive spouse or abusive partner is to take the child and flee the country and just hide in a very, very uh, thorough way, never to be found, at least not until the child has grown up to adulthood. Uh, it's not the mother's fault. It's the system's fault. It's it's the government's fault for not rectifying the system. It's the government government's fault for allowing the family courts to be corrupted to this extent. I'm sure there are a lot of viewers out there who've got similar stories. I'll share one with you to illustrate many of these problems. Um, it, it's quite a tragic story, but that's the way it is, I'm afraid. Uh, I'm aware of this case that has been drawn to my attention. A couple of years ago, a mother found out in England that her two boys was were being ritually abused by her ex-husband. And she moved to another part of the country and stopped her husband having any access to, to the two young boys and managed to protect them for about two years. And then the ex-husband took her to the family courts to get access. Or at least that was the official story at the beginning. Just want to get access, regular access to the boys. Custody was not mentioned. But at the courts, the issue of custody was brought up. And the social services and the judge demonized the mother, said the mother was coaching the children to make up all these uh, stories of sexual abuse. And the court decided that it would hand custody over from the mother to the abusive father. Hmm. Now, one thing to note is that the judge himself was involved in a sex abuse of a child in the early 90s, long before he became a judge. Some research was done. I didn't do the research, but I'm aware of its results. Some re research had been done about this judge because there was a lot of suspicions about why did the judge hand over those two boys to the abusive father. And it revealed that he was involved in the sexual abuse of a 14-year-old girl in the early 90s and the other person who was abusing the 14-year-old girl at the same time as he was was the father of the abusive dad in this family court mm. case. They were both jointly doing it and from what I heard the, the setting of the abuse sounds pretty much like a Satanist orgy. Mm. So Either the judge is himself a Satanist or he's being blackmailed by the Satanists because they often film their abuse into giving the verdict they wanted. Of course, he should have recused himself from the case right from the beginning because he knew the father of 
the dad who was contesting custody. So this is an example of just how far this rot goes within the family court system. That this man who continues to sit in family court cases is himself a, a child sex abuser and was involved in at least one such case. But that is the reality of what we have. And unfortunately, the mother who was just trying to protect her two boys lost lost them to the abusive father and the courts have thrown all their weight behind him and so have the local police protecting him. In fact, the police who were supposed to investigate the allegations against the father of the abuse, two officers from that police force went to the court case to testify in favour of the father. Mm. Can you imagine? They were proactively trying to protect this guy they could have just stood on the sidelines and said, you know, that's a family court matter. It's not for us. <sighs> but instead, they went the extra mile to defend this guy and went mm. and testified in the court case in, in support of him. Jesus. So this is how bad it gets. Mm. You know, I'm not just saying this to demonize the family courts. I'm telling you as it is what I've come across, what I know of, the cases that I, I've been made aware of and how awful it is for the parent who's trying to protect the children that they're put in this very difficult situation. I'm sure that a lot of parents would say that this is even more difficult than being sent to prison mm -hmm. because being sent to prison after a while, they know that they will get out. Losing your children into the system, probably never see them again that's even worse. Mm. And many changes need to be made to the family courts, including, I believe, introduction of juries, as they have in the Crown Courts. In the Crown Courts, a person's liberty is at stake. And so you have a, a jury, 12-person jury. Why can't we have a 12-person jury in the family courts? Because one could argue that what is at stake here is even worse than a loss of liberty. It's a loss of your own children. Uh, the corruption of judges makes it easy to corrupt the family court because you only have one judge making all the decisions. These life-changing decisions in the family courts are made by just one person, one judge, not even another judge to act as a, a, a foil to that person's thinking. So, we need the juries to sit in the family courts as well and it's going to be very difficult for anyone who wants to sway the verdict to rig the juries. We also need to change the standard of proof. And the standard of proof is a civil standard which is balance of probabilities. Unfortunately, it's such a low standard for very heavy issues like custody of children who's telling the truth about abuse. Um, we need a higher standard than that. So one thing we can do is take a leaf out of the American court system because they have a standard of proof that is in between the two extremes of beyond reasonable doubt in the criminal trials and civil trials, balance of probabilities. It's somewhere in between and it's called clear and convincing evidence we need to have clear and convincing evidence so that the judge can't just make up 
some crazy story that the whistleblowing mother coached the son to say all these things, but has to show clear and convincing evidence that the whistleblowing mother coached the son. That is a lot harder for the judge then to demonize the whistleblowing parent. And the third thing, which is also something that uh, we could probably do more with, although it's not traditionally used in the UK courts, is polygraph testing. The UK Ministry of Justice has stated that 89% accuracy for polygraph testing. That's 89% accuracy. Well, that's a lot more accurate, I would say, than the family courts judges are nowadays. And few things are 100% accurate in the legal system. So why not bring in polygraph testing? I would like to see those those parents who have been accused of abusing their children be tested with lie detectors and give their statements in court with a polygraph attached to them to show whether this is all just coaching or exaggeration or whether it's real. Uh, And I think that would be a more objective way of discovering these things because social services and the judges, they're all together, working together to demonize the whistleblowing parent. And they also have a big financial motive to do this. It is appalling that these children are taken away from from safety and put into the hands of the abusive parent. And even if they're not put into the hands of the abusive parent, if they're lost in the foster care system, Mm. a lot of fostered children end up being neglected or sexually abused. Their chances in life are very much reduced of of getting a, a, a decent job and making a career for themselves. Many of them end up in in prison as drug addicts or in even in prostitution it's not their fault it's the system the government letting them down not ensuring that they have the care and the training they need when they're in foster care so that when they come out they can find a job not not having the emotional support they need yes there are good foster carers around but there are also a lot of foster carers who are not only not good but are actually using this as a means to access children and abuse them. It's not surprising that on average, more than 10,000 children in foster care go missing each year. 10,000? In the UK, more than 10,000. There are more than 100,000 children in the foster care system. And it's not going to decrease anytime soon because social services uh, at the moment and the family courts are pushing for ever more children to be taken into care. So this system really messes up children's futures, children's lives, uh, the lives of parents, usually mothers, who are just trying to protect their children. It's a scandal. And hardly anything is being done to expose this. This is not only about SRA, but this is also about child sex abuse. And the abusers are just being protected and supported by the courts and the social services. Um, I believe that a lot of this has to do with infiltration of the courts and social services by by Satanists. And the case that I just described to you, which is of SRA, 
is illustrates how the Satanists pull the strings to protect the abusers and condemn the whistleblowers. So it, it's a stark warning of just how how bad things have gotten, how we have allowed it to get, because we have just kept quiet for years, we have just put up with it, we have just been too afraid to speak out. Besides the question of whether SRA exists in this country, which I think has been dealt with a long time ago, of course it exists, to me it makes as much sense to question whether SRA exists in this country as it does to question whether child sex abuse occurs in this country. You've got to be living under a rock to think that SRA doesn't exist in this country. You've got to be willfully blind to think that SRA doesn't exist in this country. But the next question, which is another big myth that needs to be broken, that stops people taking action is, you can't talk about SRA. You know, something really bad is going to happen if you talk about SRA. And so I say to people, Look at me, I've been talking about it for 27 years. The sky hasn't dropped on my head. I'm still bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And I'm sure that frustrates the Satanists. Good. So why does everybody have this mythical belief that somehow the ground is going to open under them if they start talking about SRA? You know, think about the victims. If the victims of SRA... Well, put it this way, if you are scared of talking about SRA, imagine how scared the victims are mm. that they have to go through this torture periodically on a regular basis and their life is dominated by it and they can no one they can turn to for help. That outdoes whatever fear or discomfort you have by a million times. And you as an adult should know better. Because that's most of their victims are children. And if a child is going through this, I would say, well, as an adult, you ought to have the responsibility to want to protect the children. They don't have to be your children. But believe me, if you ignore this issue, one day they will come for your children because they're looking out to get more and more children uh, with, e with each passing year. And so people who think, oh, this has nothing to do with me, well you're being short-sighted because they're looking for more and more children. They're looking for more and more control over our society. Sooner or later, it will affect you unless you move somewhere else. And whatever fear you may feel is nothing compared to the fear of the victims who are going through this torture, this hell, on a regular basis. So man up, grow a backbone, and speak out publicly on SRA. Because you're helping the victims, you're helping the children, you're helping to pressure the authorities, and the authorities need a lot of pressure to act on this issue. They can act on this issue. The trouble is they lack the political will, and there's been a lot of infiltration going on. But it doesn't mean that we have no freedom to act. We still have freedom. I would estimate 10 to 15% of freedom space left. One example of this is Operation Conifer. Lots of influential people tried to stop Mike Veal doing Operation Conifer, but he saw it through to, to the end, to his credit. At last, a chief constable who is doing his job and paid the price for it, but stuck to his guns. And that is a sign that, yes, there's still room for, for speaking out. There's still room for freedom, 
But if we don't use it, we lose it. Freedom, that's the nature of freedom. If, if we don't use it, we lose it. And freedom doesn't come free. People have to fight and die for the freedom that we have today. We have that responsibility to protect our freedoms and to be vigilant. And a lot of people are sleeping on this and are just too lazy or too frightened to speak out, to make a stand, and maybe expecting that it's going to be given to them on a silver plate. Well, I'm afraid that the World War II generation has mostly passed on, and you're going to have to fight for the freedom this time, all right? And they're a bit, um, well, they're, they're a bit frail now, the World War II generation, so don't expect them to do all the heavy lifting for you. You go and stick your neck out. You go and speak out for the sake of your freedom, for the sake of your children, for the sake of your family, for the sake of your descendants, because if it's not going to come for you now in your lifetime, it's going to come for your grandchildren. You know, because this thing doesn't stop. It's a virus. It just keeps growing. You said that the abusers like to film the abuse sometimes. Why would they create evidence against themselves? Is, is it an energy thing that they, they're revisiting the act and they're gaining the energy from it? Um, and also, have you seen any of these, um, anything that's been filmed? Uh, it's quite frequent that they will film their, their abuse. It's for different reasons. One reason, I believe, is that they probably sell some of it mm. as pornography. Satanists are always looking to, to make more money which is why I made mentioned this point about the family courts and the big gravy train and people making loads of money out of it. Uh, that also serves Satanist purposes. Um, the other is purposes of blackmail. If there's a VIP present at the ritual, that's useful for the future to blackmail the VIP to do what they want. So with the Epstein case, he had cameras in all his rooms and there's footage been taken of these teenagers with these powerful people. So would that tie into what you're saying, like a honey trap? Yeah, it, it could it could tie in. And uh, it doesn't necessarily on its own mean that it's Satanist, because you can imagine some people would do this even without being Satanist for the purposes of blackmail. But also it uh, gives them as it gives to pedophiles as well, if they film their acts, um, sexual arousal by watching the films at a later date and uh, reliving what they've done. They have very secure ways of keeping this film footage so that it will not be easily found and it's very difficult to get hold of. One would need uh, an insider to leak that information. But even the insiders, many of them would not know where it's kept. Um, the, the other thing to note is that sometimes they may show their rituals to other covens overseas, bearing in mind that Satanism and SRA is an international problem. I, I, I interviewed a woman who used to be a Satanist high priestess and one of her jobs working with top Satanist leaders was to act as a courier to carry, in those days it was VHS, VHS tapes of Satanist rituals by the elite Satanists, the, the high up within the Satanism leaders, 
to different countries where they had Satanist contacts. And of course, because of the sensitivity of the footage, they couldn't just send it by Federal Express. So she would hand courier it to the different countries and pass it on to a middle person who would pass it on to the Satanists. And I asked her what was the purpose of that, and she said it was to try and standardize their rituals so that these people who were in covens in foreign countries could see what they was being done by the top leaders of international Satanism mm. in their rituals and and take a cue from that. So sometimes that might be a motive as well. Um, but yes, it's definitely good evidence of what they do, but that's all the more reason why they hide it so carefully. And unless you get someone who knows about this, who's willing to spill the beans, then it's practically impossible to find. But yeah, they they do frequently film what they do. And uh, sadly, there are people out there who are willing to pay good money for the more and more perverse things being recorded on film. And so we have a situation where the the victims are used to help make the abusers money and are used for ma- making pornography. And this is part of their attitude. It's a reflection of their attitude towards the victims, that these people are not, uh, are not more to them than just objects for exploitation. That's the kind of world they want to construct if they succeed, where the, the strong rule over the weak, the strong exploit the weak, the strong will have power of life and death over the weak. That, in a nutshell, is the kind of Satanist world that they want to construct. You are already seeing that happen to some extent in the family courts, where the strong lorded over the weak and the child is not listened to at all. Doesn't matter how many, how often the child may say, I don't want to go to be with my dad, he abused me. They will make the final decision and give the child back to the abusive dad. So the weak doesn't get a word in and it's all about the strong, those in power, dictating what should be done. It's no different from North Korea. We're headed towards that if we don't wake up and get out of our comfort zones and stick our necks out a bit and start speaking out. There is a lot we can do. The, the, the biggest myth is to think that you can't make a difference. Of course you can. But we need more people to want to make a difference, to be willing to make a difference, and to use what freedoms we still have to make that difference, including, for example, um, going to your MP, asking your MP to represent your concerns to the relevant minister. You still have that right. You still have the right to go and see your MP. Um, The other things you can do are spreading the word around, spreading this interview around far and wide. I've noticed more and more people are getting interested in SRA, and learning about it. It's a lot better now than it was in before 2011. 2011 is when Jimmy Savile got very publicly exposed. And after that, the public interest in these issues and in cover-ups and awareness of cover-ups has grown quite sharply. We need to use that to spread awareness about SRA and, and remind people that Savile 
was a Satanist who did SRA. You know, the mainstream press kept asking, how did Savile get away with this for so long without touching on SRA? Because that was the answer. Because people who do SRA often get away, as Edward Heath did, with their horrific crimes for a long time. Mm. So we can use this period of more interest in the subject, of more openness on the subject, to spread the word even more, to shout it from the rooftops. Basically, we need to shout this from the rooftops. It's been a long time coming, but better late than never. And and let's shout it from the rooftops about SRA. And let's not be afraid to use the word SRA, because that really scares the Satanists. I'll tell you a story, a true story. Uh, A Satanist who didn't realize I knew he was a Satanist met me for the first time some years ago and he spent most of that conversation trying to persuade me not to use the word Satanist ritual abuse. And I thought, that's so interesting. Now I see what scares you Satanists <laughs> so much. So obviously I've amplified that a hundred times or so because that was an insight to what scares them. And you can scare the Satanists. You just have to be determined and you have to keep repeating the truth. Just as they repeat the lie that SRA doesn't exist, we have to keep repeating the truth and keep repeating references to Satanism, Satanist ritual abuse, uh, what they're doing to children, what they're doing to our society. We, We need to keep exposing the darkness by shining the light on it. And don't be overwhelmed by the darkness. It's it's when things are dark that all the more reason we need people of goodwill to shine the light. You know, you don't shine a light in an already bright room. You shine the light in a dark room because you need it. So we need to be light bearers, light shiners to eliminate what's going on, uh, the reality of what's happening because so much is hidden. And, and the, the Satanists benefit so much from keeping their activities hidden. So we come close to exposing things, for example, with this whole VIP abuse scandal, and then they, as they usually do, they they spin a false narrative to say, oh, we've looked into it, no evidence, nothing to see here, folks, move on. That's all rubbish. That's all just a false narrative to keep us asleep. So you said that there's a renewed interest or there's an increased interest in SRA. Um, Before this interview, I looked online and I can see how the internet is bringing this information to people. You also said that the Satanism began centuries ago when there was no internet. So how has the internet transformed the Satanism itself? Does it facilitate the circulation of the pornography and does it put the perhaps the leaders and the covens around the world in faster communication with each other? Yes, it's it's good and bad. Um, the, the internet does facilitate speedier communications and better communications between Satanist abusers as it does between pedophiles. Uh, at the same time, the Satanists have set up their own presence on the internet to keep the myth alive that SRA does not exist. One of these groups, for example, is Hoaxstead. Satanists set up and run to keep the myth alive that SRA doesn't exist. And this is just their typical tactics. So 
there are some websites on the internet that are actually run by Satanists and are there to deny that SRA exists and to keep people ignorant on the subject. So I warn people who say they're going to do internet research, watch out for the Satanist websites. You can tell them by their attitude of trying to rubbish anyone who's trying to expose SRA or trying to play down the existence of SRA. But there are also some good websites uh, out on the internet that talk clearly about the problem of SRA. So one needs to be discerning because the internet is is a free it's a free space for people to go into and and put their views and then research and their knowledge uh the the good thing about the internet is that it enables well people like yourself people like me um to not have to depend on the mainstream media to get a message out that's really crucial because the mainstream media has either self-censored themselves on SRA or are under the influence of Satanists to keep quiet on this subject. I could name various British journalists who are Satanists and they have a, a long track record of repeatedly denying the existence of SRA, their job within the Satanist coven is to come out and write articles saying SRA doesn't exist when people start to wake up on the subject. So they, they can all then go back to sleep. Uh, we, we, we tend to see the same names coming up, writing these articles. Of course, they're trying to recruit new journalists into this, but they're all working for the Satanists. Um, there are good journalists out there, you just have to have discernment about who you can trust and who you can't. You have to look at the newspaper's track record on the issue. So a very good track record has been had so far by the Daily Express and the Sunday Express. The Sunday people has also been quite good on exposing SRA. Sunday people expose Cyril Smith's friendship with a Satanist and interviewed the son of the Satanist abuser who talked about himself being subjected to SRA by his dad. Um, Sunday Express, of course, exposed Jimmy Savile's SRA. So there are a few papers who are trustworthy. Um, Channel 4 did a program, a documentary on SRA. But a long time ago, in 1992, Dispatches program, February 1992. Now, the interesting thing we all need to bear in mind about this program is the follow-up to it. The They set up 15 telephone helplines for that dispatches program because they believed that a lot of SRA survivors would be triggered by what they saw and would need counselling. So Channel 4 set up 15 telephone helplines and they broadcast the helpline number on the TV screen towards the end of the documentary. Within five minutes of the number being shown, 595 calls more than 595, in fact, went through the helpline. Within one hour, uh, well, the calls that managed to get through the, the 15 helplines were 191 in total. 191 in total, but they took quite a long time because several of the female victims who called in were suicidal and they needed a lot of time on the phone. 
British telecoms handled the, the income, all the calls coming through, and British telecoms stated that although 191 calls came through, in the first one hour, attempted 4,500 calls were made that couldn't get through because the lines mm. were busy. Now, anyone wants to know the extent of SRA in the UK, this is 1992, February, 4,500 calls from SRA survivors coming in in just the first hour after the telephone number was broadcast on screen. That's how big it is. Now it's much, much bigger because that was 1992. And since then, we've had more than 20 years of neglect on the issue of the government thinking that they don't need to do anything about it, practically ignoring it. So if we were to do the same today, we'd probably have double or triple that, maybe 10,000, 12,000 calls in the first hour of broadcasting the helpline. I say this to make it clear because there are some people who say, oh, well, maybe SRA exists, but only a little bit. Well, that's nonsense. It does exist to a huge extent in this country. Uh, and the, the huge response to the helplines, which even Channel 4 could not anticipate, you know, they were just out of their depths. They didn't realize how big it was. And sadly, no, none of the mainstream TV stations has done a documentary on this subject since then. Um, I'm not sure I would trust the BBC on this subject. There are a lot of questions unanswered about the BBC, including their attitude on Savile. Um, so one has to be discerning about the media because a lot of the mainstream media are either self-censoring or are actively covering up the issue of SRA. But the internet has provided the opportunity for alternative media of campaigners to blow the whistle on this subject and to keep blowing the whistle on this subject. Uh, the Satanists hate this, uh, which is all the more reason why we should be doing it. And they try to set up their own rival websites and so-called hoax groups. Uh, but most people know that these are just fakes. Why would the BBC not let anyone reveal what Savile had done for so long? Well, I suspect that they will, it would probably expose a lot of the BBC's own involvement in some of the things he did, culpability. Uh, the BBC has a very bad track record on SRA. They claimed to want to do, in the early 90s, a program on SRA, on Panorama, which turned out to be just a stitch-up mm. of the people who were interviewed to try and rubbish what they were saying. Unfortunately, the people who were interviewed did not know that this was the BBC's intent, and the BBC mm. misled them to think that they were going to do an honest uh, coverage of the of the subject, and they didn't. So, bearing in mind that attitude which must have come from a high level within the BBC and bearing in mind Savile's uh, connection to the BBC and his not being exposed for so long, I think one has to be wary of the BBC 
It's not surprising to hear this, though, because of all the mainstream media in the UK, I think the biggest prize for the Satanists to infiltrate would be the BBC. Mm. So we need alternatives, and that's what the internet has provided us with. We should use that while we can, um, because there's a big freedom space there, but the signs are there that more and more attempts are being made to police the internet uh, against what is deemed to be not politically correct. So, for example, you have every now and then reports of Facebook removing something which they didn't like because it was very un-PC. Um, you will get the same perhaps on other social media. So we, we, we need to not simply take it for granted, but use the internet as much as we can while we can. I also heard of a, of a claim that someone who mentioned SRA on, on a social media website got his information taken down. So attempts appear to have already been made on that front uh, by at least some of the social media. And also to fight for the free, to maintain the freedom of the internet because Increasingly, the the mainstream media is showing us that they're not actually there to inform. They're there to indoctrinate. And so we need an alternative free press, an alternative free media. And thankfully, at the moment, we have these opportunities to do the interviews like this uh, and, to, and to get them out there. And, and we should just use it as much as we can, I think, because public awareness is key on SRA. Public awareness is key on helping to protect the victims of SRA from helping to expose and even bring to justice some of these criminals who have been getting away with it for so long. Uh, and this is the trouble about Satan's abusers. Because they are able to get away with it for so long, they don't have, normally they don't have previous records for being arrested or being put in prison. So when they go to, for example, um, a children's kindergarten or school to apply for a job, they can get it quite easily because there's no nothing to show that they've ever been in trouble with the police. And then the children get exposed to these Satanist abusers. I'll give you an example you may have heard of the Holly Gregg case. Do you want to explain what that is to people because they might not have heard of it? Uh, Holly Gregg case is probably the second largest known SRA case today in the UK. It's a Scottish case. Uh, the first would be the Hampstead case, I think. And um, Holly Gregg is uh, a lady in her 30s who suffers from Down syndrome. And in the year 2000, she revealed to her mother that her father had been abusing her and everything she described, including human sacrifice, fit to the T the description of Satanist ritual abuse. She had been forced to not only watch a human sacrifice but to eat parts of the body. And she also witnessed an animal sacrifice, uh, ritual sacrifice, and forced to eat parts of the, the dog that was sacrificed. She was also 
raped by the coven members. There was she also saw your classic signs of SRA um, people wearing hoods and black robes and chanting. And uh, she told her mother this, and the mother went and told the police. Now in Scotland, they have a pretty bad record on dealing with SRA cases. So the police response was to try and get the mother sectioned under the Mental Health Act. Fortunately, the mother had the presence of mind to get an independent psychiatrist. Now, she'd already been detained under the Mental Health Act, but she managed to get an independent psychiatrist to examine her and say that she was of sound mind and she were, they had to release her. Uh, the interesting thing is apparently the psychiatrist who signed the order for her to be sectioned is himself a Satanist. Um, so obviously there was an attempt to stop this story coming out. Not surprising because there were so many people from different levels of society that Holly Gregg was naming and exposing she named a total of 23 suspects, two of which are head teachers, one a senior police forensic officer, two social workers, and including one judge. It kind of gives us a good insight into the different levels of society you can find Satanist abusers. All very respectable on the outside, but what they do in secret is a different thing altogether. So you've got people from social services, judge, police, head teachers. Very disturbing that one of them is still a head teacher. And that is another trait of, of Satanist abusers. They always like to go to the jobs that give them more access to children. So many times I've come across Satanist abusers who are in, for example, teaching jobs or social services. Um, it, it, it's, it's what they like to do is to get near to children, to access children. And... She campaigned for a long time, the mother, until she was threatened by social services that if you continue campaigning, we will take Holly into care because this is bad for Holly. Now, I met the mother and the mother made it clear to me that Holly was constantly asking the mother to carry on the campaign. She wanted the campaign. She wanted the fight for justice in her case. Um, it was like, it was like something that motivated her a lot. And social services, of course, had to make up this fake story that, oh, you're doing damage to the child by talking about this, by talking to her about the abuse, by trying to get the abusers put in prison. That's all damaging to her. We've heard this story before. Usual excuse used to threaten the mother that uh, her daughter would be taken into care if she didn't stop. Because although Holly was in her 30s, she had the intelligence level of a child. So, um, because of her Down syndrome. But 
the the mother carried on as long as she could, and then she had to stop because she didn't want to lose her child. Some others carried on campaigning on this issue. Scottish authorities have come no closer to actually dealing with the accused. The most they ever did was interview Holly's father and brother, and they didn't even bother to check the computers of the father and brother. Because usually the standard practice when you're when you're investigating suspected child sex abuse is to check out the computers of the suspects because they will use that to either access child pornography and perhaps also access other pedophiles or other child abusers and members of their network. So they made this huge glaring omission to not check the computers of these two suspects, but they only interviewed two suspects out of 23. And they considered that an investigation. Mm. You see, you, you get this on, on many cases, including the Hampstead SRA case, the, probably the biggest um, known SRA case in the UK, that the police can't be bothered to do more than the very minimum, just so they can show people, oh, I'm doing something. And then in the back of their minds, they can't just wait to shut down the case and say, okay, nothing here, no evidence, their usual mantra, not enough evidence. So the SRA case in Hampstead, for example, only lasted two weeks, the investigation. For such a serious uh crime for for such serious allegations against a whole group of people for to give it a mere two weeks of investigation that is a joke i mean it's a sad joke but it's a joke and the police expect us to believe that they've done their job which of course they haven't and that was the metropolitan police by the way the same police who said that satanic abuse exists and say it on their website so nobody can say that they met uh, in a rush to acknowledge satanic abuse, but they had to because it's real. So reluctantly, they put it on their website that satanic abuse is real, even though they're pretty poor at investigating it. How would someone like Savile be introduced into this world? And what is a typical initiation ritual? I suppose that the Satanists would be keen to have more Savils because they have a lot of influence on the public and access to other celebrities and influential people uh, because the Satanists are always looking to extend their influence and power over others. So that would be an advantage to them. And when it comes to rituals, in, initia initiation rituals, one common practice is for them to sign a contract where they swear their loyalty to the devil and they will sign it in their own blood. They will make a cut on their body uh, and take the blood and sign the contract. And I know that's what the ex-Satanist that I know did. 
And she was the one who told me that at the same ritual where she she signed her loyalty to the devil, she also witnessed the sacrifice of the baby. Um, the the commitment of these Satanists to following the devil is very strong. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, you were talking about rituals that could be five hours or longer. That takes a lot of commitment, that in itself. And so they are very fervent about what they do. Now imagine some of our VIPs, some of our influential people in power, in parliament, for example, are Satanists and are doing SRA. Their first loyalty will have nothing to do with serving the UK. It will have nothing to do with patriotism. Their only first loyalty is to serve the devil, whom they have sworn with their, their blood oath to follow faithfully. And that has huge implications for this country. And we're not talking about one or two, we're talking about quite a few of them um, who have been following the devil while serving in public office. So they could be in parliament or they could be in the police. There are still a lot of good people in parliament. There are still a lot of good people in the police, thankfully. But if we don't start acting now to expose this evil and getting these people brought to justice, a time will come, maybe not too far in the distant future, that there will be none left who are good and sincerely trying to serve the public. So we have to act. It's a very fervent, fanatical commitment. I guess the 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 example you could use today that's well known is that of the Islamic extremists. The Satanists who uh, is committed to that cause will be just as fervent as the Islamic extremists. And probably even more bloodthirsty than the Islamic extremist. So we need to not underestimate how much damage they want to do in the name of their belief system to this country and to children. But we also need to not overestimate how powerful they are. Because if you overestimate how powerful they are, then you think, well, I can't do anything. You just feel helpless. But that's not the case. You know, Operation Conifer got through. All Mike Veal had to do was stick to his guns, and he did, and he managed to get the report done, which revealed a lot about Heath's satanic abuse, which must have really made the establishment nervous because this sort of thing had been kept secret for decades. So it's about having this balance and, and realizing that they're a formidable foe, but they're not undefeatable. And just as they are determined and fanatical about doing the bad and the evil, we should be equally determined to do the good and to shine a light in this darkness. And, and that is the approach I would encourage people to take. The good thing about this is that you don't have to be uh, doing some special course in order to work on this issue. Yes, it helps if you have certain knowledge 
and I'm always happy to advise. But practically anyone can get into this fight against this evil uh, and to help expose it. We all have social circles. We all have friends. Some of us go to church. Spread the word. Get the word out. If, if you don't feel prepared yet to, to talk about this subject, you can get me in to your group to speak about the subject. If you're not sure what to do, you can email me and I can give you advice on it. The thing is to, to wake up and take action. For too long, people have made excuses to do nothing. And now it's all building up. A lot of people are, are paying the price for this. Um, it's so sad to see the SRA survivors and what they've been through. It's so sad to see the mothers who tried to protect their children and had their children snatched away from them by the state. This is state-sanctioned kidnapping. This is state-sanctioned child abuse. And it's affecting our society in a very profound way, in a very dark way. And we all can do something and we all should do something. So to the people out there then that you want to inspire to do something, do you think they are disillusioned because Conifer came after Heath's death, Utree came after Savile's death? At the very beginning of this interview, you said that the Satanist performs these rituals and the abuse and these horrors because they're seeking power. They're megalomaniacs. So if you're a megalomaniac like Savile or Heath, it appears that it's worked for them because they've had power, they've had protection, they died, and they didn't face any consequences of their actions. So does Satanism actually work for megalomaniacs? And is that is that an attraction to them? And the fact that we it seems to have worked in those cases is is that put the dampers on people who think you know what can I do about this? These guys are dead already. Um, it, it, it's a waste of time. They're protected until they die anyway. Well, just because some of these influential people got away with it doesn't mean that they're always going to get away with it. That is not guaranteed. It's never guaranteed. We should be asking ourselves why we let them get away with it and what can we learn from that? Well, one thing we obviously can learn from that is that we need to hold our VIPs and our celebrities, no matter how popular they are, much, much more accountable. We need to make demands on our government to take action against these people, to hold them accountable, to expose our government's lack of action on these issues, to point out that it's better than nothing if you do a report about this VIP after they've died, but what are you going to do about it to prevent this happening again? You see, this is my point about Operation Conifer. They've done a report on the investigation and the findings. It's on the internet. Page 59 and 60 of the report talk about the satanic abuse elements of Heath's crimes. It costs £1 million of taxpayers' money to do that investigation. In fact, one of the attacks used against Mike Veal was that he was wasting taxpayers' money, which of course is rubbish. 
because this has such a, a, a huge impact on our society, what he was doing, a positive impact. But have you noticed after all that and the £1 million spent of our taxpayers' money, the, the report has hardly been referred to by the government. It's been put on the back shelf and the government has instead gone on about Carl Beach. If the government was actually wanting to do something about VIP abusers, they would have followed up that report that they spent so much money on to act against other VIPs. That report in itself proves that VIP abuse exists. And yet they go on and on about Carl Beach, who was either stitched up or has been a government agent right from the beginning, probably more likely stitched up. I have met so many SRA survivors who've told me they've been abused by VIPs. So why suddenly does the government think that they should reduce it all to just one SRA survivor called Carl Beach? Well, that makes it easy for them to then discredit that one person. It's always easier to discredit one person than to discredit a big group of people. And then say to the public, yet another false narrative. We, we did our investigation. We did our job. Look, there's nothing to it. Our star witness has been discredited. While the real evidence of, of VIP abuse lies on the back shelf, Operation Conifer and their report. So we need to be challenging the government. We can go to our MPs and say, ask our MP to write to the uh, government minister, for example, the Home Secretary or, or the Prime Minister, and say, what are you going to do about following up op Operation Conifer to make sure that other VIPs involved in abuse do not get a free pass for the rest of their lives and only after they die are they investigated? You know, we're, we're still supposed to be a democracy, at least technically. And where is the democratic accountability of people in public office? So we need to be using that. You know, the government is deliberately not following up Operation Conifer, but we don't have to deliberately not follow it up. We can follow it up. We can push and demand the government to follow up Operation Conifer. After all, we are the taxpayers who funded Operation Conifer. We are the taxpayers who pay the salaries of the parliamentarians. And we should be making some demands on this and say, you know, don't just leave it on the shelf. Do something about it. Make sure this doesn't happen again. Go after the VIPs who are still alive and bring them to account. Don't wait until they're dead and then start making an investigation only then. You know, as I said earlier, it's better than nothing, but we can improve on that for sure. It seems like some people are just untouchable. You know, we've got the success with Harvey Weinstein. When um, they had Utree, they had like Rolf Harris, Max Clifford, all these guys. But then you've got like a serial sexual predator like Bill Clinton, untouchable. Prince Andrew, all this evidence that's coming out against Prince Andrew right now. And we just know that nothing's ever going to happen to him. Um, so it's it, it's great that some people are facing the consequences of their actions, but there's always that very top that that, that will that will get away with it. Seems which is it's sad. Yeah, I, I guess you could draw an analogy with uh, drug trafficking, 
that sometimes a lot of the people who are caught by the police are the lower level drug traffickers and the kingpins are getting away with it. Occasionally, a kingpin gets caught when there's a special effort, like, for example, Pablo Escobar. Um, but that's more the exception than the rule. However, I would point out that by catching even the lower-level VIPs, we are sending a signal to the higher-level ones that their impunity may not be as strong and extensive as it used to be. We are also sending a deterrent signal to other VIPs who are thinking of using their status to abuse children to think twice because some VIPs are being brought to justice. Some VIPs are having to account for their actions. So it, it's always the principle which I'm sure the police who, who fight drug crime would make the same uh, statement that it's better to catch some of them than none at all because if you don't catch any then it just encourages more and more people to do the same because they think that, well, all these people are getting away with it, so I will get away with it too. I have a free pass to abuse children and torture children and um, I'm going to follow the example and the police can't touch me. And that just creates more and more of the same problem. On top of that, I would point out that some of the senior Satanist leaders are not people who are well-known. They're not what you would call a VIP. I mean, they're VIPs within Satanism, but not in society at large. And so it is possible, if one can get the evidence, to have them uh, prosecuted and convicted. One might need to do a big campaign as well to pressure the police to do their job. Uh, because if you can put some of these Satanist leaders away, that really helps to sabotage the child abusing machine that they run. You know, if you can save one or more children from being victimized by these people, then it's all worth it. We're all very well worth it. You can't put a price, it's priceless on a child's life. So it's always worth going after these people. Uh, if if you catch only a few, it's well worth it because you think about all the children you've saved from being harmed by these people. You know, they're, they're like wild animals who will just attack any child or vulnerable adult. And just because you can't catch all the wild animals doesn't mean you shouldn't try and catch at least some of them. And of course, with experience, when you when you catch some of them, successfully, you can learn from that to try and catch the others. So, yeah, we, we should be optimistic and not just looking at all the negative side of things uh, because that is exactly what the Satanists want you to do. They want you to not even try. They want you to give up before you even started. But that is what enables them to get stronger and to keep expanding, and to keep growing their influence in the UK and in other countries. So let's not give them what they want. Let's have fighting spirit. We need fighting spirit. It's what got Britain through the first Battle of Britain. 
fighting spirit. No fighting spirit. Doesn't matter how much technology you have, how much money you have, you're not going to win. You're not going to have the determination to see it through. It's so crucial to have the fighting spirit. Yeah, I interviewed Corinne Housebout. She's based in Belgium and she went into prison and interviewed pedophiles and child killers. And the the stuff she told me just blew my mind. I'll, I'll put a link in the description box if you guys want to watch that. So we're almost out of time, Wilfred. Do you have anything, any stories or anything you'd like to say in conclusion to the people watching this video? Well, to say that you can make a difference, don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Um, I remember a case in the 90s uh, of SRA that I took up where I involved some MPs to put pressure on the police for not investigating uh, a Satanist abuser who was the father of a young girl. And he was abusing this girl in his custody uh, usual problem of the abusive father getting custody of the child and the non-abusive mother being left out. But during her access visits to the mother, the girl revealed what the father was doing to her and uh, the police were protecting him. So fortunately, the mother got a medical examination done of the girl, which showed that she had been abused by persons unknown. But we all know that she was under the custody of the father when she was abused. So we used the medical report to get support from MPs and the MPs were asking tough questions to the chief of police of the area where the father lived. Why aren't you investigating this person? Here's the medical report. Why aren't you doing anything about this case? And the father was getting increasingly nervous about the pressure. So on one excess visit to the mother the, the the girl said she didn't want to go back to the dad. The mother called the father and the father said, okay, I'll let you keep her. So her the ritual abuse she was suffering from as young as three until that age eight stopped mm. permanently. So we made a big difference by fighting it. And the mother was, well, as most mothers are, so focused on protecting her child. She was getting all sorts of problems coming her way. The father was engineering all sorts of troubles for her, but she just kept going. And I just kept going, getting the MPs involved, fighting for her. And together we made a big difference in that child's life. And uh, the nightmare ended. So you can make a difference. I've seen it myself. You just have to be determined know clearly what you're fighting for um, and have the courage of your convictions as well as the clarity of purpose. My clarity of purpose is expose Satanist ritual abuse. That's why I always talk about it very clearly, Satanist ritual abuse. I don't get tongue-tied like some people do mentioning it. I don't care if people want to reject what I'm saying because I know that there are a lot more people who want to listen to what I'm saying. And that's the only way to fight this battle. You've got to have courage, clarity, and conviction, the three Cs, to fight this battle on SRA. And you can make a difference. So I want to leave that message for your audience. You can make a difference. I have made a difference. I would like to make more differences. And I'm sure you would want to. But 
remember, you got to pay the price. You got to put in the effort and speak out if you want to make the difference. So, people watching this, maybe some of them have been affected by SRA. Are they able to contact you? And would there be? Do you have a preferred method that they can contact you? The best is probably to email me. The website address uh, I mentioned earlier that you will put on screen is. I can put your email as well in the description box. Yeah, yeah. it's the website that I run on SRA. Uh, that has the list of successfully prosecuted SRA cases in the UK. Uh, but you can, in addition to that website address, put my email address so people can contact me that way. Absolutely, yeah. So if you've enjoyed this video, I don't know if enjoyed is the, is the correct word, but I've learned quite a lot. Um, sat here with Wilfred today, it's blown my mind. I, I, I only, you know, recently come across this subject. Like I said at the beginning of the video, this, this dark rabbit hole we've been going down through the Clintons, then onto Epstein, then onto Prince Andrews has brought us here. So if you have learned a lot today, or if you have thoughts and opinions on today's video, please put it in the comments section. We do appreciate you subscribing to the channel. Subscription logo is in the bottom right-hand corner of the video. Huge thank you to all the people who've donated on PayPal, Patreon, Just Giving, Subscribestar, so we can produce these podcasts in the studio at this professional level. So, all right, thank you very much thank for coming you. on. Yeah, cheers. Thank Brilliant. you. Thank you. Yeah. Take care.